Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your co-host Jen Amos, and as always, I have Nani Dominguez with me. Nani, welcome back. What's up, everyone? Yes, and we are excited as we always are. I've just given up on coming up with synonyms, Nani, for my excitement, and I'm just going to go with excited <laughs> all the time. So it's maybe okay. that's just my it stick. Still fits. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah, okay. maybe that's just my stick. I will stick with it. I will own it that I'm always excited because I am. Because in a time right now where it is so easy to feel isolated. It is sometimes you really have to actively take an effort to, you know, stay in community and have a great, you know, positive attitude and seek out help. I say all this because we have an amazing guest with us today. We have Cynthia Mm -hmm. Siadat, who is a Filipina licensed clinical social worker and mental health speaker. And uh, we were already talking a little bit offline, even about my own (laughs) depression in the recent weeks and really the first quarter of the year. And already I feel safe with her and I'm just excited to get into this conversation. So without further ado, Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with y'all. Yeah, for sure. And of course, to our listeners, I want to let you know right now, if you want to learn more about Cynthia, pull up your Instagram account and look up Living Fully IG, and you'll be able to find Cynthia on there and just scroll through her stuff and see all the good things that she's posting about and check out her website. I am livingfully.com. Also, if you want to engage with us, Nani and I, we do have a phone number 415-484-8329. Feel free to text us, leave us a voice message. No one never leaves us a voice message, by the way. So if you do, I will (laughs) love you. (laughs) So, or not, don't do it. I don't know. I'm trying to do like reverse psychology. Like, please leave a message, but don't. Um, It's okay. (laughs) But it's okay, right? (laughs) So Cynthia, let's go ahead and start with just by sharing, how did you hear about our project and what compelled you to reach out and be on our show. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who you had interviewed, I want to say a couple months ago, Rain. Oh, yeah. 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 I love Rain. Yeah. I love Rain too. Oh my gosh. I didn't know you guys were connected. Yeah. Well, we connected over, I think it was just Instagram and like just started chatting and she was like really interacting with some of my content and I was just really loving getting to know her. Yeah. And then I saw that she had interviewed with you, you all. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. And so I gave a listen yeah. and I was like, Oh, I really want to do this. This sounds really fun. And so, yeah, so she and I just chatted about how great it was for her to meet the two of you. And so I was, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We love rain and yeah. Shout out to rain. She is episode 90, which was published January 22nd, 2021. Oh my gosh, her story is incredible. I mean, I'll read the title of her episode real quick. You can choose to not be in pain. Breaking toxic patterns, victim advocacy, and the glorified narrative of motherhood turned upside down with rain. So once again, that's episode 90, which you can check out at the tforproject.com. 
that episode still resonates to me till this day so much that I think Rain and I, like we're just in touch like all the time. Like I'll just randomly send her audio messages on Instagram. Like, hey, I'm just thinking (laughs) of you. So Rain, big shout out to you. We love you. We appreciate you. And so great to see that we have a mutual friend. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. I was was just really impressed with, with everything. I mean, I was listening for her story, but I was also just really excited to meet both of you. So yeah, thanks for having me again. (laughs) We're happy to have you here. We're so glad to meet you. Another one of Rain's friends. Anyone who is a friend of Rain is a friend of ours. I also have that relationship with her where we talk pretty often and, you know, she just reaches out or I'll reach out randomly just to say hi and check in. And I really appreciate the sisterhood that she builds around her Mm -hmm. wherever she goes on top of having such a moving story that she shared with us in her episode 90, I think Jen said. So if you haven't listened to that episode already, definitely listen to it. It's one of the episodes that we got particular (laughs) height of feedback on after we released that and for good reason. So I know that Rain has also reached out and made her own connections like with my family So she's just, yeah, she's a part of the family at this point. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She's incredible. But let's put the focus back on you, Cynthia, because this is the Cynthia show today. Um, (laughs) It's okay. Rain can take any (laughs) any kind of spotlight that she wants. Oh, I I, I bet you like when this comes out, Rain's going to be messaging all three of us. Like, So Rain, obviously we love you. Uh, You know that already, but it never hurts to hear it again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Cynthia, you know, as you know, this show is called the Filipino American Woman Project. And what we have come to find in all of our conversations is people really define the Filipino American woman so differently. And in your form, you said something that really stood out to me that you had the privilege of growing up in a predominantly Philam community. And to me, what stood out is the word privilege. Because when I think about my own relationship with like, let's say my family in the Filipino community, I tend Mm -hmm. to have a love-hate relationship with it sometimes. And so for you to say privilege, like, first of all, I just, I love that attitude, you know, toward the fact Mm -hmm. that you were, you know, growing up predominantly in a Philam community. So with that said, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, what it means for you to be a Filipino American woman. Sure. So yeah, I did grow up in the predominantly Filipino American community in Vallejo, California. And uh, thank you. (laughs) And it was just unlike any experience that I've ever had since. Mm. And I can see, you know, for me, being a Filipino American woman really means that when I go out into the world, like, and this is a more kind of recent realization, but also kind of not. It's a weird, it's a weird both thing of like, I feel like I'm carrying our values into the work that I do or into the communities that I go into primarily around Kapwa. Like I, you know, I, we were talking about how I'm a licensed clinical social worker and there are things that I've been praised for, acknowledged for, you know, highlighted for that I'm like, wait, isn't that just how everybody treats one another? Like Mm -hmm. you you just kind of watch one another's backs. Like you just like, nope, (laughs) you just do that. And, (laughs) and, and like that, yeah, you're right. Like, that's just not, uh, I was told a lot of things that were kind of negative about it. Like I would be like, be told, oh, you're just being so nice. It's like too nice Mm -hmm. or too allowing or, you know, and 
I kind of took some of that in and a little bit of that got internalized as like, oh, this is like not a good thing. Like I'm too weak or too soft or something. I should be selfish. But it never quite sat right with me. It really like caused a lot of like internal, like, but I like being like this. I don't like being like just about me. Now that came with like its own stuff. (laughs) of just being like all about everybody else. And then like, yeah, over here is like, what am I? I'm a person who's in the room. Cool. But yeah, to me, it really means carrying those lessons, the values, the ways of treating other humans into wherever I go. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I know Nani, you mentioned Kapwa a lot in our newsletters and it's just such Mm -hmm. an important thing for you to mention. So just curious what your thoughts are on what Cynthia said. Yeah, I think that that is everyone. If, if you're not familiar with the term Kapwa and what that means, you should definitely go look it up and learn about it because I think that it's kind of like in our last episode or our last interview with Marissa Tarona and how she said, family is really integral to my experience mm-hmm. as a Panay and I do carry it with me into everything that I do, whether mm-hmm. it's the friendships that I make, the projects that I'm involved in, the work that I do, you know, what Mm. I pursue in my professional life, really that family value or that cultural kind of aspect of being Panay is what makes me so special. And being immersed in these white dominant spaces or dominant cultures, I guess I should say, where it's really about like, oh, pull up your bootstraps and go get what you want for yourself. It does cause a lot of internal friction because you're like, okay, but that's not how I operate. I operate based on a collective effort. I operate based on support, you know, leaning on and having people lean on me from my community. And that's what makes me strong and special and just not a lot of other cultures here in the Bay, I guess have that. And, you know, I, I can speak to what you mean by having the privilege of growing up around Filipino American culture in Vallejo. When people ask me where I'm from, I say Oakland because that's where I was born. That's where I went to school. That's where my mom lives or has lived her whole life. But I was also raised essentially half the time by my grandparents who both lived in Vallejo. So, um, yeah, so essentially (laughs) I'm also (laughs) as much from Vallejo as I am from Oakland. Hey, Otto. <laughs> yeah, that was Otto. He's a special that guest. Was the, that was the laziest part. He's like on his side and he just barked. And he's like, hey, don't forget about me. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, it just having that split culture of my experience mm-hmm. growing up in Oakland versus mm-hmm. what my experience was growing up in Vallejo. In mm-hmm. Oakland, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of other Filipinos. You know, mm-hmm. it was just... Mm-hmm the people from my family that I knew. And when I was with my grandparents in Vallejo, it's like whether we were going to Kmart, my grandma loved Kmart and Starbucks and Food for Less and Seafood City, you know, and they have a whole shopping center basically dedicated to Filipinos, which is wild (laughs) wild because over here in Oakland, you know, if I didn't have that experience, it's like, where would I find that kind of culture to just go out in the world and go to a, a store that has gifts from the Philippines or just random little tchotchkes and decorations for the house and slippers and rosaries and, you know, all the <laughs> random things. That all of them buy. are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, you don't really have that here in Oakland. There's Chinatown, which, you know, you can find a lot of similar stuff, but there's mm-hmm. nothing that's really Filipino specific and there's no mm-hmm. hub for 
I know in San Francisco, it's growing like the Soma Filipinas area is growing and becoming more, more known, I guess. But people from the East Bay don't typically venture off into the city that much, you know, unless they have mm-hmm. a reason to. And so even that was um, kind of hidden from me for a long time until I was an adult and started to explore the area yeah. on my own. So much of what I know about being Filipino and upholding the culture and just being partaking in the culture comes from my experience in Vallejo. And so I yeah. think that it has been a privilege to grow up in a, in a space like that. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. I think I think I hear and, and have experienced myself like, you know, sometimes our community growing up in a Filipino community can come with some pains. Yeah. And I definitely have had to heal from those. But I think there was something really foundational that I got being able to be in that community. There was like, like just that idea of like collectivity of like, you know, everybody's kid was everybody, everybody else's kid to scold. Right. And like, (laughs) or cheer on or take care of or feed and make sure that they're fed, you know, like it was just is so special. And I, I really, I, I mean, I, I can say, you know, as a, as probably many, many folks who I grew up with, maybe not, maybe just me, (laughs) I won't speak for them, but I think in some ways, it was such a warped way, but I think I took it for granted a bit because when I got to college, I went to UC Santa Cruz. It was, it was a big culture shock. Mm, I was like, Oh my gosh, there's like, there's white people. And (laughs) I think white, white folks were like probably the least familiar to me. And so I was just like, Oh, there's, there's a lot going on. And I used to, I don't know. I don't know, Nani, if you, you remember, but like, in Vallejo, there's like a very specific way sometimes that young women speak. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a little swallowed. It's a little like S prevalent. I know that now, but I didn't yeah. know that then. And I remember going into those circles at UC Santa Cruz and, and having people go like, why, why do you talk like that? Mm. Like, oh, what's that? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was, I, I still do it to this day. Like I'm still pretty S prevalent I've stopped the swallowing thing but <laughs> I'm, I'm really s prevalent in my talking anyway but yes that reminds me of uh, <laughs> that reminds me of my sister who I remember she couldn't say her r's and exaggerated her s's like she would say squirrel instead of squirrel yeah <laughs> and so she yeah, had to she, yeah she had a lot of that growing up mm-hmm. and I remember that I was like wow she has like a lisp or something yeah, <laughs> yeah she, like she, like, she grew out of it throughout the years obviously yes. like she's an adult now and and when you were talking about that, that very much reminded me of like what my sister used to struggle with. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, I'm just I'm glad for her that she grew out of it, <laughs> you know, somehow, <laughs> some way. So I appreciate hearing you both talk about just kind of your background of being raised in Filipino culture and just be heavily in that. And, you know, it does remind me of even my own upbringing of being, you know, around, um, I mean, in military life, when you're moving around it, you're kind of just with your family. But once we settled in San Diego, um, I very much, you know, recall being taken care of like my relatives and, you know, while mom was working and stuff like that. And I feel like I just constantly, I have this constant tug of war in my head where it's like, 
like I want community, but I don't want the community the way that I experienced growing up, which was a lot of abuse and emotional neglect and all those things. But I think I'm mature enough now to know how to handle myself in those situations, because it's Mm -hmm. like, no matter how much I dive into, like, let's say the white culture and how much I, you know, try to be self-sustaining, even being uprooted out here and I say uprooted out here in Virginia, I've lived here for about like three years now, like to just kind of look over there at the West coast and, you know, let's say see Nani and her experience with her family and hearing your stories and knowing my family is there. I'm beginning to like, realize just sort of like inherently, I want that, like, you know, despite Mm -hmm. how crazy it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very crazy, traumatizing, you know, (laughs) you know, just irritating, you know, it's like, it's something that is just a part of me that I'm beginning to acknowledge, like, and and I've been talking about this a lot, I think throughout the past, even the recent episodes, Nani, of just my Mm -hmm. kind of feeling homesick in a way. And it's Mm -hmm. not even, it's not really physical. It's more like figurative, like just kind Mm -hmm. of having that desire to like be sick of someone right now. Like, oh, I'm sick of, I mean, I am kind of sick of someone locally right now, but that's a conversation for another time. So I guess I kind of got what I wanted, but like, but I think just kind of that feeling of knowing that if anything were to happen, people would drop everything to be there for yeah. you, you know? Um, and, and that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately. And, and how do I want to figure out how to reintegrate that into my life? Because I've been so like hurt in my upbringing mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't want that hurt to be a reflection of, you know, the community as a whole. Like I do believe there's good in it. Hence why we are a hundred episodes into the show, because we've been able to find that in all the people we've engaged with. So so I just say all this because I'm, I'm sort of living vicariously through what both of you are sharing and, mm-hmm. and it's showing me with every conversation we have on the show, like how much I inherently want that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just trying to figure out like, okay, I know I want that, but how do I reintegrate that in a way that still honors me? Because there is that tug of war being Filipino and American where mm-hmm. you do value being, you know, having that collectivist values as well as being independent. Like I very much love my independence. You know, I'm, I'm also an introvert. So like, I like to be around people for a certain time frame before I need a recharge, you know? So for me, that's kind of my mindset is like, how do I find that balance? Like, how do I reintegrate that? And ultimately the desire is there. So I think I'm on that journey now of like, okay, how do I make that possible? And I think that in these conversations, I'm constantly inspired to be like, oh, if I just hear this person's story and how they did it, maybe I can apply that to myself as well. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally hear you on that. I'm, I'm like listening to you and I'm like, yes, I, I am an introvert. Yes. <laughs> yes. I did like move super far away from my family. And then I'm like, wait, how do I get those things back? You know, right, right. <laughs> wait, I want that. I totally, uh, I mean, something, I, I don't know if you felt this, but you know, I was mentioning like when I left Vallejo and went to UC Santa Cruz, I could tell you, you both that, you know, when I, as I look at, at at my experience as a whole, like with my own mental health, with my own depression, I can see that that time coincided with what looks like I was going through high school, went to college, and then I see this thing, this trajectory kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. downwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's telling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is, that is yeah. telling me something really important. And I feel that like whenever I go home, to, my parents are still in Vallejo. They have one house that's like on the east side of the town and then another house that was like rented by my sister for a bit. And like they were renting out, but now that they're older, don't want to because it's just a lot to manage. And last time we were there, which was just a few weeks ago, me and my husband, we stayed there. Mm-hmm. And like 
it was the first time like I had ever stayed anywhere else when I went to Vallejo and like visited my parents and it just felt good. Like it felt healthier Mm. for me to get to have some separation. I mean, like as much as like every, and it was like a weird thing to kind of balance. It's like that Filipino American that felt very Filipino American to me because like we arrived and my mom was like, Oh, just stay here just stay at my house. And my husband and I had talked beforehand, like no matter how much she says, you're going to stay, you're going to break, do not break. (laughs) And like, you both should have seen me. I was like, no mom, like I am not we are going to go to the old house. Okay. Like I practice this. I practice it. It's like no um, eye contact with mom. Mom, we are, mom yeah. no, no, we're Don't not. seduce me. We're okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, but she, she, oh, until the moment we drove away was just like, I don't understand. Insisting. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. 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 The whole time. So, and all of that in the past would have made me be like, oh, okay, mom, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it is that you say yeah but it ended up being like loads healthier and just it's that uh, I've talked to other folks who I was with reclaiming Filipinx identity mm-hmm. their, their show re- yeah with Chachi yeah, yeah we love um, Chachi <laughs> ah, Chachi <laughs> She's so, <laughs> she's so sweet oh my gosh she's um, so freaking sweet she's like she's she'll just say again so another sweet. one of my friends that I send audio messages she's like I'm just checking in with you how are you I was like Chachi I love you like, yeah I, love these no, I just love her she's yeah. so sweet so insightful so smart yeah super insightful yeah and so like something I love about her <laughs> I couldn't go about going on about her she's, <laughs> she's got this like beautiful island energy like mm-hmm. she just like, yeah. like my family in Oahu, like she reminds me of them because they're mm-hmm. like, well, like they're very gentle and very like go yeah. with, you know, it's like very, oh, it, it's lovely. I, I love speaking to Chachi. So anyway, anyway. Yeah. We need um, to have was, her on the show. Like, I know has, I was like just thinking us, what happened to her. Wasn't yeah. She, she just sent us like, like show. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm going to have to like send her an audio message, but like Chachi. <laughs> <laughs> um, what happened? We, we were we were on the show together like a couple weeks ago or something mm-hmm. and the group of us women were talking about like going far away from our families of origin yeah to kind of create that kind of psychological safety yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and that's just like I, I am that person in my family I moved the furthest away and there were a lot of unhealthy dynamics happening like I felt because I was, I tended towards the more like sensitive, I ended up feeling everything for everybody. And so, so it was just healthier for me to like have some space, but like, it's, it's an interesting, I I don't know. It was a really cool, that's a cool episode with reclaiming Filipinx identity, because there were all of us talking about how we needed to like create that space. Mm-hmm. To, to in order to create like that kind of like objective kind of perspective of appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. Cause I think that, you know, and I mentioned this in a past episode where 
like, it's okay to leave the nest for some time. Like you're not insulting your family. If anything, you're expanding the family, you're stretching out like what we're all capable of, you know, as a family. And so that when you do come back, it's like, you have resources, like you've come back with stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think it just continues to add to the family as a whole, but yeah, it is an interesting discussion of like, you know, being like, it is, it is good. I think it's good. It's healthy to fly away from the nest for a while. Um, like even for me, I'm like very much far away <laughs> from the nest and, um, and it, it's having, it's really given me a deeper appreciation for, you know, a sense of family and community um, and, you know, something that I've been hungry for, for some time. And just like how, like, I, I don't think I've really explained this in detail yet with our listeners, but at the last week of March, I've, I've been telling Nani about this. At the last week of March, I completely turned off my phone for like an entire week. That's a story for another time. But I remember like how much anxiety I had, like reintegrating it back into my life. And so now having my phone a month later and Nani has kind of seen, I think <laughs> my progress and all of this of just how, mm-hmm. how, like how I've been able to make it possible without sort of repeating like the bad habits that I had with my phone prior to turning it off for an entire week. And I think that's how I feel about family. It's like, okay, I've been like, I've been far removed. Now it's just a matter of like trying to figure out how to reintegrate, you know, family and and putting myself in there. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously we're not going to have like an answer today on how to solve this, but obviously that desire is there, you know, to want to have that family and community while still feeling like a whole person, you know, that where we can accept ourselves and not feel like we're not enough or not Mm -hmm. be prone to, you know, any negative triggers that may come from being around family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really the beauty of this generation of Filipino Americans that is at least involved in this this conversation here at the TIFA project is that whole kind of journey that we go on individuating from our families, you know, feeling that disconnect of straddling the hyphen between Filipino and American cultures, and then kind of exploring both, but not wanting to fully let go of or immerse yourself in either. And so yeah, boundaries, I think is the theme of today. Hashtag boundaries. (laughs) It's just, you know, that's something that I've talked about in the interviews with my family is like, that's just Mm -hmm. not something that we grow up doing. You know what I mean? In any aspect of our lives, it's just like, we're all up in each other's business all the time. And, you know, we feel the need to keep our family members in check by doing those checks and balances and providing our two cents, even when it's not warranted. And, you know, that can get tiring. And as you become an adult and as you become begin to learn like, Oh, I can make decisions for myself. I can do things without using my family as a crutch, but also like, you know, they don't have to be there as my crutch. They can be there as a support, Mm -hmm. a, a system of support. And it doesn't have to be that like, kind of codependent relationship where like how you were saying your mom was just insisting, insisting. And in the past you would have just been like, okay, okay. Just acquiesce to whatever she wanted. And Jen, I know that when you came a couple of years ago back to California for your like three week vacation, you also chose to get an Airbnb instead of stay with your mom and you really enjoyed that. And so it's like for an entire week, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) And there's no reason why we can't like integrate that kind of again boundaries into our family relationships and really do it for the sake of having more fruitful family relationships. You know, especially if we come from places where we have toxic dynamics with our family members or trauma from the past that we need to work through or that we've decided that we want to work through and Mm -hmm. build those relationships back in a different capacity. So, yeah, I I really resonate with what you're saying, because I think 
yeah, that, that visit was the first time I actually set that kind of a boundary up with, particularly with me and my mom, me, she and I have had more of a fraught Mm -hmm. situation between us. And so I have been attending therapy in my own journey since like, I don't know, 2006, something like that. Wow. Nice. Kind of off and on throughout. And I know that for at least 10 years of that, my family's sentiment about it was like, oh yeah, that's something for sin. That's something that she does. And like, she needs it. And like, yeah. or like, or it would be like, you're still doing that. Like, why are you still, <laughs> why are you still going? Wow. Um, <laughs> but by now, like most people in my family have gone to therapy and that is an exciting thing. And I'm, I'm really yeah. appreciative of how uncommon a thing it can be. And one of the people who went was my mom Hmm. and, and she and I, she and I, we, we used to get into like fights. Like she would, there was like abuse stuff happening, Mm -hmm. just verbal, physical, that kind of stuff between she and I. Mm -hmm. And, and there was, I think it was like a year or two ago, she was like, just on the phone with me. She and I talk pretty regularly and she was like, you know, I learned that there are things that I do that, you know, may be hurtful to you guys, to you and your sisters. Wow. Who are this? And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, well, I just want to tell you that if you ever have, if you ever have or had something that happened between us that was hurtful or, you know, you still carry with you, which there was was like a lot at that. Like I have a whole stash back here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh God, am I going to have this conversation with her right now? Yeah. I wasn't ready ready for this whole thing in my closet. Like it's like, and it's the funniest thing with this like timing, because I think it was like just a couple of weeks before that I was in my own therapy session, kind of Mm. processing that love hate relationship with her. Mm, It was like, I love her. I think she's like the most brilliant woman I've, I've ever been around. And at the same time, she was real nasty with me. And I was, you know, probably no joy in, in certain regards, but I certainly didn't try to make trouble. (laughs) Um, and so, so yeah, so we had that conversation and I just, I remember in the middle of it, like I was just kind of, it it was kind of me going down that list of this happened, this happened, this happened. And she just sat there and she listened. And I was like, I was just stunned. Like, holy, she's just hearing me. And I remember thinking in the middle of it, this is like that conversation that I think folks hope we get to have with our loved ones before they go or before we go. Yeah. Mm. And I was just like, this is really special. I think that, that this kind of work that, you know, like you're doing, Uh, and, and like where, you know, we're doing in our therapies, that kind of stuff. I think it really can address some of these, like these like boundary issues that are so, it's so tough. I think with, with boundaries, with the Filipino community, one of the things I'm working on is, is trying to uh, see how like basically manualize how I've applied Capua into therapy. Mm -hmm. But like, one of the things is like, you know, boundaries is tough to bring to our community because we have that because we have that interwoven kind of quality right and it's like how do you how do you navigate having boundaries like healthy ones yeah but also respect the the this thing that we have going on and i'm 
I'm just fascinated with that. So I'm really, I don't know. I, I think when you brought up boundaries and our community in that way, trying to create the healthy things that really helped me think about that in that sense. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it back to the whole notion of Kapwa and how I realized that I said, go look it up, but I didn't define it. So for anyone that is not familiar with Kapwa already, it's this idea of like a shared identity amongst our community. And as you can imagine, that doesn't leave a lot of room for boundaries. That doesn't leave a lot of room for self-exploration or self-realization or actualization. And so that is part of straddling the hyphen between being Filipino and being American, and especially with our generation or, you know, second, third, et cetera, generation Filipino Americans. I think that's really the friction, the internal friction that we feel, especially because there's such a difference. There's such a wide difference in the atmosphere that we have at home versus the atmosphere that we go off to college and see or into a professional field and and see and have to learn how to, you know, play the game. So I think it is something that is just a constant juggling act, I guess I would say. And again, if you are able to, you know, venture off on your own and learn about what your needs are and how to honor yourself while also coming back to rebuild those bonds with your family in a way that's like, I love you, but like from over here, you know what I mean? Like This is is my bubble (laughs) and you're not allowed in my bubble. Although, you know, you're going to be all up in it anyway. I want you to know that it's here. (laughs) You know, those, those boundaries are, you know, just, they exist basically. That's, Um, that's really powerful. I think that you, you getting like, so often when I'm working with clients in general is like, not just with my Philam clients, but just in general is like, when we get to assert our boundary, there's something special in that, even just for us to get to say, even if somebody crosses it. Yeah. It's like, we still feel stronger for having said what they are. So I really appreciate that, what you're saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is such a, you kind of have to do it in order to understand the impact of it. And otherwise you just, you're caught in that feedback loop of just always succumbing to your family or whoever's expectations of you, whether you're diving into, you know, the white dominant culture in your professional life or whether Mm -hmm. you're, you know, just sticking to what you know and staying close to home. So it is again, a privilege to be able to venture off on something like that and try and at least attempt to marry the two. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm I'm thinking, you know, there's so many different interpretations I, as I'm doing my research and everything I'm finding so many different interpretations and, and definitions of Capua and mm. one of one of the ones that I found was by a writer Eileen Tabios mm. she, she just came out with a book called Dove Lion mm. and it's uh, it looks great I haven't yet picked it up but I I really admire her work and I I pulled up her definition just because I I thought that it it kind of captures the both of mm-hmm. like, no, I'll just read it. So it's Capua, a Filipino cultural concept of interconnectedness, whereby other people are not others. So that like, I am you, you are me, mm-hmm. we're not others, but we're part of what one is. Oh, so that wow. I, she's a poet and author and visual artist. And she's just 
phenomenal. I, I asked her, can I use that in my work? <laughs> and she said, yes. So thank you, Eileen. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Please spread that message. Yeah. No, I love that. That's beautiful. And at the same time, I think it also kind of visually illustrates how there's not, you don't have a bubble in that sense, you know? <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting, I really feel for, you know, our, our parents who you know, right now we're living in a, in a time where talking about mental health and talking about our sort of inner workings is more, more common where like, like my mom has been like anxious for years and is only now realizing like, oh, that's anxiety. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> oh, that's what that is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I'm just so excited for, you know, for just continued conversation about it because I think it's so the way I feel about Capua is if we had Capua in the world, we would have a lot of good happening. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And so, so that feels, that feels so good to me to be like, okay, how do we have, or let folks who are in the Filipino community, but also not in the Filipino community experience Capua? Yeah. Like how, how can we do that? And that's Um, literally, you know, in this moment of like political polarization and all of this, like just hate that's, that's going around, you know, as of the pandemic on both the black community and the Asian American communities. I think that that's the missing piece to the puzzle is that, Mm -hmm. that feeling or that value of interconnectedness. And no matter how much we may disagree or even not like each other for whatever reasons, we still like Jen and I were talking offline earlier said, Mm -hmm still have to learn how to coexist. We still have to learn yes. how to share this space. And mm-hmm. if we don't acknowledge that we are inevitably interconnected, whether we like it or not, mm-hmm. then this is how it's going to continue to be. And so that is something I think really special that Filipinos have to offer the rest of the world. And another reason why I just wish that more of us would embrace our culture and want to bring it into the different spaces that we find ourselves in rather than assimilate and minimize those parts of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. It's like a super strength. I think yeah. of all Filipinos I've ever, you know, like all Filipinos, I have not met one of us who hasn't had this as like a, as a, like, this is just my foundation, a you core know, value. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. When I think about trying to set boundaries while being, you know, in community with your family or have that interdependence of sorts. I think part of the fear to set boundaries is it's almost like you're facing death. Like you're cutting the umbilical cord, like saying, mm-hmm. if, oh, if I, if I set this boundary, will this mean that am I exiling myself from my family in a way, yeah. or am I alienating myself when I set this boundary? And I think that's just something that we all are trying to figure out, trying to find that balance, you know? And yet when we, you know, kind of what Nani was mentioning, it's like, if we don't, even try to verbalize that boundary. Like we often walk away from our family feeling, I wouldn't say like a bad aftertaste, but feeling like we lost a part of ourselves, you know, when when we let people overstep our boundaries. And so, you know, like, again, obviously this is not going to be fixed overnight, but it is an interesting discussion to bring up because it's the issue that I think a lot of us face is like, again, how do we be in community with each other while still respecting who we are and ourselves? Like, how do we find that? So if any of our listeners have mastered this, please let us know (laughs) if you have the answers, if you've mastered, you know, like 
you know, kind of finding that balance of being Filipino and American and, you know, being in community as well as setting healthy boundaries, let us know. I'm very curious because it's an ongoing conversation. And, but either way, I'm glad that we're having the conversation because I think there's a lot of people who just sort of accept this as truth or as this way of life, or Mm -hmm. maybe stay in a mentality of victimhood of like, well, this is, it it is what it is. It's my family, you know, Mm -hmm. like I have no choice kind of thing. And, and the truth is you do have a choice, but it starts with that awareness and that desire to honor yourself while being mm-hmm. part of the collective. And again, no overnight answer, but it's it's worth the conversation and it's worth the topic. It's a topic worth contemplating about. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that you are saying that like, yeah, it's, it's not overnight. I think something that I've, yeah. I found, like, I think I was mentioning earlier, like sometimes I'd enter a room before and I'd be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not even really aware that I'm like a person also yeah. in the room. Yeah. I'm just kind of like there and like, okay, but I know I'm supposed to help people. I know I'm supposed to do that. I know I'm supposed to do this, but it, I, I feel like sometimes the missing piece is the individual themselves. Yeah. And so like the assertion, like Nani, what you're saying and, and Jen, what you're saying is like, you know, that assertion of yourself into the picture of things. I think there's something in that. And I'm not really sure. I mean, there's a lot like I could go into that kind of like therapy stuff is just like, is just so good because you get to, it's a, akin to that idea of us take, getting to take up space mm-hmm. and getting to be present and involved and invested. I think uh, as an introvert, as, uh, as the bunso. Mm. little one I'm I wasn't really used to speaking up mm. I wasn't really used to talking about yeah talking about myself or if I did it was like discouraged yeah uh, and something that I've been kind of playing around with and I really don't know if this is like the thing so if you're listening and you try this I want to know how it worked for you or if it didn't but just like asserting how you're feeling asserting what your experience is like in no relation to anybody else. Yeah. It's just like, you know, sharing how I feel. It's like, I feel this period, you know, and seeing if it kind of puts to rest anything inside, if it kind of creates more ease, because if it does, then like, and my theory with this is like, you know, it's like after in being in a collective community, that individual identity doesn't get that nourishment. Mm-hmm. But then if we do get to say like, I dot, 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 it's like, is that helping the nourishing of that part of the collective, that yeah. part of the the whole? So yeah, that's my theory, but I don't yeah. know. No, so much <laughs> about implementing boundaries is definitely about communication. And mm-hmm. I think that that's where a lot of us get either stopped up, especially when we're the younger sibling or if we've mm-hmm. been you know, kind of the baby of the family in whatever capacity. And so mm-hmm. you're used to, you know, people telling you how you feel or what yeah. to do or what's expected. And so really learning to speak from a place of I and also to honor, you know, that the, what is the, I'm stealing this from Cad. He always says this in his workshops, my fiance, he teaches mm workshops on white supremacy. And he always says the story belongs to the listener. I forget how it goes, but I will get it and I will insert it here (laughs) later. But basically, you know, it's not for you to insert yourself in someone else's experience. Their truth is allowed to exist no matter how it may conflict with yours. And so Mm -hmm. your only job really is to listen and to, you know, we in our family dynamics are not used to being listened to in that way. 
uh, or listening to others or listening yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so that's something that we really have to learn and again just speaking from a place of I rather mm-hmm. than uh telling someone else about their own experience you know yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel like we have our, we've given our listeners a lot of things to contemplate about. (laughs) And actually in both of you talking, I was just thinking about a a recent journal entry I made after talking to my therapist last Monday, and I wrote this down and it doesn't seem like a lot, but I'll explain it. So it's, it's a, I am statement. I am confident in what I want and how I share what I want. And the reason why this weighs a lot on me to actually declare that is because I'm not confident in what I want and how I share it because I'm afraid of how that's going to affect other people. You know, I'm afraid how like, oh, if I'm confident in myself, will that be at the expense of my relationships? And that's been a lot of what I've been battling with lately is like, again, this whole conversation is very therapeutic for me right now because it's like, that's the battle that I feel like I'm facing right now. And I think a lot of us tend to face. And so if anyone needs an an I am statement, here it is. I'm going to say it again. I am confident. (laughs) I am confident in what I want and how I share what I want. And I think I'm going to add something else, like despite what other people say, but again, that's, I don't know. I don't, I'm going to leave it there for now. Anyway, I, uh, wow. I feel like we covered a lot. That was such a heavy needed topic. And, uh, I want to continue forward here and, uh, get to some other, some of the other questions that we have, but so, uh, Cynthia, before we transition over to life today, tell me a little bit about the fact that you are a granddaughter to a Philippine revolutionary. I think this would be so worth sharing with our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I am so proud of this. I, um, so my grandfather, his name is Tomas Kalma Mm -hmm. and he was a commander in the Hukbalahat in the Philippines. And I learned, he he also, he and my grandmother, my grandmother, Maria Virginia Calma, they were both leader figures alongside Luis Turuk. Luis Turuk is considered, if for those who don't know, Luis, Luis Turuk was credited for some of that revolution action in the Philippines that liberated Manila during like the Philippine-American War yeah. and from Japan. Mm-hmm. And Luis was married to my grandfather's sister, Gregoria Calma. Mm-hmm. And, and these are all things like I've learned in like the last four to five years. So my mom was adopted by her aunt, mm. who was also my grandfather's sister, because my mom and her biological sister, who was a baby at the time, were with grandma. Mm-hmm. And both grandma and grandpa, the theory right now is that both of them had a bounty on their heads because the government was really, you know, just trying to get rid of the leadership from the Hukbalahat. Yeah. And so the, the theory is that my mom went to live with her aunt so that she was safe. And so my grandmother and my other aunt were safe. Mm -hmm. That's how much we think happened. It's, it's still not very clear. Yeah. But the on death march, my grandfather helped his platoon escape from the death march. And oh that's one God. of the one of the stories that my cousin was recently telling me that that our family is super proud of. And oh, yeah. so like it is a in my it, so my family when I was growing up, it was just the five of us, the immediate family, and most of our extended family was elsewhere. They were like in Hawaii or in the Philippines or other parts of the States. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this, like 
we didn't understand. And my mom's own experience had like the trauma that she had to deal with was that separation. So like talking about it was really painful for her. So she didn't really want to talk anything about it. Of course. The ways that I had found out about my grandfather was like Googling him. (laughs) And and I looked him up and I was like, oh my God, you look exactly like my mom. (laughs) Wow, I love it. And like I immediately like picked up the books that that he was written about in and then picked up another book about the the Amazons of the Hook Rebellion because my grandmother was featured in them. Oh my gosh. Um, you need Spoken. to give us a list of these. Who are oh my gosh. Yes. So email me afterward. I will. I will. <laughs> okay. Um, add this to the show notes. This is important. Yeah. 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 Devina Lanzona at University of Hawaii, Manoa, I think mm-hmm. she, she was the one who did all the interviews, like the one with my grandmother and I have it in my to-do list to go to the Philippines and go to the archives and get to listen to her voice because I've never, I never met her before. Wow. And so I'm, I'm also trying to learn Tagalog. So I understand what she's saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All of it, yeah. all of it is in Tagalog. So, but yeah, so Atevina Lanzona, Lanzona, I think is her last name. So yeah, I feel really proud. I think an interesting thing that happened as I, as I've been learning about them both mm-hmm. is that I've also experienced, and this is consistent with some research done about like I just identity and mental health, mm-hmm. but like I've experienced like a, an increase in my self-esteem because I know who's the giant's shoulders I stand on now. Yeah. It's like, oh, and this is just like this one generation back or a couple generations back. And so I don't know like the rest of that, but, but knowing that had really given me uh, it's so new. I haven't yet gotten words to describe it, but it feels super solid. Yeah. I think it came after a time where I had experienced kind of the more kind of frail part of my uh, self identity that I had formed over the years kind of collapsed. And, um, and then I figured out like, oh, okay, I need to like, stop doing what I'm doing. I'm like doing way too much. I was working like full-time 60 hours a week. And then on the weekends, I had an organization I was running. Like it was just oh my goodness. a lot. <laughs> so like, I just like <laughs> collapsed <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that was easy. Like that, yeah. that just like, yeah. but then I'm finding that with, with this as my core, with this as my foundation, I feel much stronger and less like there's like less anxiety about it. Like I'm not finding myself like pushing myself to the degrees I used to, which is interesting because yeah, that's just new. Yeah. Because it's like, (laughs) as you start to know where you come from, maybe there's this less anxiety to maybe have to prove or establish yourself because you know what came before you. Cynthia, I appreciate you sharing that because I think part of our anxiety, a lot of us come from this need to feel like because, and this, this goes back to my feeling of, of feeling uprooted is like, I don't, I, I too don't know a lot about my history and what I've come to learn in our conversations throughout, you know, the show is that, you know, our parents, our grandparents, they don't want to share it because it is a traumatic experience for them. It's like, mm-hmm. as much as we want to like beg them to tell their story, you're almost like, you know, pressuring them to open up old wounds, you know? And so when I started to have that realization, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just going to have to like 
work my way around my family, you know, just like how you had a Google, uh, I had a Google <laughs> read. I'm like, I've yeah. got these books and they're just like all highlighted up just in the sections where my family is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I found their names and I was like, okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's a, um, and like you said, it sounds like there's good mental health benefits to actually learning about your family history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. I remember when I was first entering into the field, the, I was working in San Francisco at a foster youth agency that was like doing wraparound services when a kid was going from, from group home to foster home or just stepping down. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of the things I learned there was that when I'm working with a young person of color, one of the ways that I can like really help foster their self-esteem was to have them getting familiar with their culture of origin. Mm-hmm. So I remember working with a young a young man of Haitian descent, and we were just like going through, you know, the history and like the the colors of the flag and like the you know like just like the base things that that he and I could find, you know, just looking it up, and they did become part of his like his identity I mean like like I remember not shortly after it was like he was wearing shirts in this like very baby blue color and like baby blue and white and like just uh, and then eventually like a head a head wrap that was the flag itself and I was like that is so awesome you know and I didn't understand it at the time of how deeply that must have been feeding a part of himself because I was still really new in the field but looking back on it now, I'm like, yeah, there's like a lot going on psychologically. Like he's getting his self affirmed. He's yeah. developing a sense of identity that is his own, you know, it's like his own, but also connected to this larger whole. And I've been doing some reading recently about loneliness because I read about super light topics a lot. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> It's like how um, I like read a book on depression because oh I was like, God. I need to figure this out. Like, it's my leisurely reading is I know. depression. I hear I'm you. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear you. But, but I was reading about, there were three different types of loneliness that they spoke of. And one of them was like the individual sense of loneliness that like identity is like, where do I even belong mm-hmm. here? Um, there's a social loneliness of like being with other people, but like feeling pretty isolated. Oh yeah. And then there was collective identity. And that's just like, I am a part of, you know, this group. And that's like why folks join like bowling clubs or like teams or, yeah. you know, associations of sorts, because they can belong to this larger thing than themselves. And I'm just fascinated by that. And, and you know, this is all like, like a rough draft of me working on couple therapy, but like, it's like a, it coincides so much with this idea of like, we want a sense of our identity that ties back to a larger whole so yeah. that we're not like, like the ownership is collective, but the assertion of it can be individualized. It was like, oh, it's like, well, I believe this because like, yeah. I believe in social justice. My grandfather was like a fighter for social justice. And I realized that it, it is a privilege of mine to get to have Googled and then found my grandparents. <laughs> like that is a true, true privilege. I, yeah. I really appreciate that. That's like, that's as, um, uh, what's that called? That's, exceptional. that's exceptional. It feels not mm-hmm. usual to me. I, and I don't know, maybe it is, but 
yeah, feels very special. Yeah. Just having that information to begin with, because so many of us are so disconnected to our own history, you know, so for you to kind of work around your family and actually find them on Google, (laughs) I think, I think is pretty outstanding. And yeah, Yeah. it's a very fortunate position to be in. Like, I mean, if I look up my family, I don't really find much. So that's, that's incredible. (laughs) Well, uh, and to that, I'm like, well, I think that now if I hadn't been able to find my family on, I mean, like I wasn't counting on it, but then I ended up being able to. And I was like, okay, well, I just want to like tell the alive, <laughs> the, the the family members who are alive want to tell their story mm-hmm. because at the very minimum, this is where it can start. And that's what I was kind of like my backup plan mm-hmm. was like, if I don't find anything here, then I will just like go straight to my mom and like go story core on her. You know, it's like, that's like, that was my what I do with my younger sister. I'm like, go to mom and ask her these questions that I can't ask her. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I just want to add that I was listening to this webinar the other day. Of course, now mm-hmm. that I'm going to have a baby, I'm into all like learning about parenting strategies and all that crap. And so <laughs> I was on a webinar on raising multicultural children and they were talking about how to address like racism with your kids or how to mm-hmm. kind of teach them how to navigate the world, especially with all the anti-Asian crimes that are going on lately and how schools are going back slowly but surely in person now. So kids mm-hmm. are going to be around each other again. And of course there's what we see reflected in the news amongst adults is going to be reflected amongst the kids and how to navigate those spaces. And they were really stressing the importance of instilling a sense of pride in their culture and knowing about their culture, like teaching them about their culture in the first place, because so many of us, like we've you know been talking about here are so starved for it. And, yeah. you know, you are lucky to be able to Google your family and find out information about them. Not a lot of people can do that. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, relating it back to my own experience. I think where I had joined this podcast, the TIFA project was I had recently lost my grandpa and he was, you know, the person that I, aside from my grandma, who I lost like over 10 years ago, they were really the two that I would always like try and milk for stories or like say like, where do we come from? Show me pictures, take me there. And they would always be like, no, why? (laughs) I'll be American. And I'd be like, no, like, I don't know why I need to know this stuff, but I do. And so it really goes back to that and feeling that kind of like resentment that I felt for mm. him kind of leaving me without telling me any of that stuff. Yeah. And then going through the, the process of realizing like, oh, this is not just about my learning. It's about his trauma also. And right. you know, I couldn't, as much as I tried to, as much as I wanted to, I couldn't force that out of him. And it did take me having to learn on my own in order to have that pride to now be able to have these conversations that I was so desperate to find the language for. And so it's just a really special thing to go through. And again, another really like significant thing about Filipino culture and the whole idea of Kapwa and being able to share Mm -hmm. this like interconnected identity with each other where we can learn from each other and, you know, again, develop the language to articulate ourselves in moments of like passive aggression or microaggressions and, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the stuff that we see going on in the world today, because mm-hmm. whether or not we want to participate in it, 
we're literally being attacked with it. So we have to learn how to respond and we have to learn the language that we need to address it and to pass on to our you know, future generations, whether it's our kids or just younger generations listening to this podcast. It's just something really important to know. And if you don't have that like personal, that opportunity to like connect with who you are at your core, then it's hard to feel that pride. And that's where the self-loathing comes in. That's yeah. where the desire to assimilate comes in, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's just not helpful for anyone. It doesn't honor you. It doesn't honor your family. It doesn't honor your ancestors. And, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to participate in the world and go off and venture into whatever you feel your passion is. But if you don't mm-hmm. feel like a intrinsic connection, I guess, mm-hmm really grounded in your sense of self and who you are and why you do what you do, then it's going to be hard to sustain. Yeah. Wow. Beautifully said, Nani. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and Nani, what you're saying is, is inspiring me to say that, you know, for anybody who's listening, you know, with, with Capua, it's like my success is your success. You know, it's like, that's how we would celebrate one another's success or, or pride. And so I'm, I'm thinking like, I I wonder for folks who are listening, if you are from, or if your family, part of your family is Kampampangan. Yeah. My mom knows that dialect. I'm supposed to know it. I don't know it. So (laughs) it's the, the location. Sorry. I was, yeah, I was saying the dialect Mm -hmm. it is, it's Pampanga. If any of your family, if you identify as being part Pampangan, then I want to let you know that that is the origin of my grandfather and my grandmother. And wow. so, so in that way, you know, as a person who originates or is ethnically tied to Pampanga, then that is also your story in that way, you know, but, you know, for, for what it's, what it's worth, if it helps. Beautiful. I just love all this love we're sharing today. Um, I'm going to like, gently kick out Nani because I know you have to go. Sidebar, I do have to go because I really enjoyed talking to you today. (laughs) Me too. Nani, I had no idea we had that Vallejo connection and I just feel (laughs) so much closer to you now. (laughs) I I don't rep that enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, Nani, before we go, feel free to say goodbye to the listeners and then I'm going to continue my conversation with Cynthia. Everyone, well, I do have to hop off for now, but I just want to say thank you again to Cynthia for joining us today. And thank you all for listening to this really deeply meaningful conversation that we're having. I hope that, you know, it's some of what any of us or all three of us are saying is resonating with you. And if so, please text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. We'd love to hear from you and get your thoughts on this conversation. Anyway, gotta go. See you next time. Love (laughs) y'all. Love you, Nani. Talk to you later. We'll text later. Okay. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. All right. So I have you to myself now. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Well, wow, Cynthia, I'm just so moved by our conversation today. I think it's the conversation I needed to hear, especially this week. And, you know, just being reminded that we're not alone in our struggle and sort of that tug of war that we have inside that that inner battle of trying to balance being Filipino and American. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we've talked extensively about it for the majority of our conversation. I want to go ahead and fast forward to your life today and like with everything that you've learned and experienced. I know for you, you are super proud that right now you have an entirely virtual private practice in LA. So tell us about that. 
I do. So I am 100% virtual as, as, as Jen mentioned, and I'm just, you know, I think there's a number of benefits that I've found with being able to do that. Like my clients can be wherever they are. And like, if they need to go out and run errands and then they'll just kind of talk to me in their car. Oh, I love that. You're so flexible with your clients. You know, it just really is, you know, like, I think I, I find I need that. I need that kind of like, okay, can I take care of this? And can I take care of that? And like, I, and I do think that there's value in us being able to like carve out our time. Yeah. But like, I think there's something also valuable given the con like the societal context we're in that does move so freaking fast yeah. that people are, I, I find that folks are getting in the hab- regular habit of in the middle of their day, taking a break and being like, Nope, right now I'm in therapy or right now I'm doing that and checking in with myself. And I feel really good about it. I mean, like it is something that I'm seeing with my clients, like, you know, I've I've been chatting with my clients about like, okay, I'm probably like, I'm just going to continue with this virtual, you know, seeing people virtually and they're all pretty down. Like it it really (laughs) is like the, like I try to, you know, like make sure they can see me and like, see my, my gestures and everything. So there's at least some kind of body read um, because that's what gets lost in like the individual, in the individual sessions in person. But I think, I don't know, there's something also very special about getting to see people in their space yeah. Where like they get to be comfortable in their space mm-hmm. and I get to see them kind of in their own environment and not in this, like this office setting. That's like, I mean, that can be quite containing, but for some can be quite intimidating Yeah, um, because it's like, oh, I don't know where this is. This is like a new place for me. And it's, it looks very different than like my home life. Yeah. When I think about uh, at the very start of the pandemic, my husband and I tried to go to couples counseling, like in person and, you know, it was a whole event, you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) it's just the whole act of like getting the family together. I mean, we had to talk to our therapist ahead of time if we could bring our dog because our dog (laughs) has separation anxiety. So there's that. Um, so we're like, can we, is this dog friendly? But yeah, just kind of like being in the the therapist, like territory in a sense, you know? Uh, when the pandemic started, we switched our therapist and it was all telehealth mm-hmm. pretty much the entirety. Like I, I literally have not met our therapist in person this entire time. And I know she's down the street, you know, like I know like the office is down <laughs> the street. Like you're so close, but yeah. And you know, like maybe it's because I haven't had too much in therapy sessions that I do like the telehealth. I do mm-hmm. like you know, just being at the comfort of my home. Now, now I know that it would be helpful for, you know, the therapist, maybe see more of my mannerisms, but you know, other than that, it's been nice. Like, I feel like the therapist is meeting me where I'm at, you know, and I've grown to like it and I, and it doesn't feel like an event. It just feels like, oh, I can just go to a safe space and have this conversation. So, you know, in a way I feel fortunate that most of my therapy experience has been during the pandemic because I don't, I don't really know much otherwise, other than the few times Mm -hmm. I did meet with that one, with our first one, where it was, about meeting in person and yeah. making sure our dog doesn't like snore in the middle of yeah. our <laughs> session. You know, yeah, like, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Yeah. And- so I, I think that's like so beautiful that, you know, you've been able to become a virtually private practice. I'm curious, did mm-hmm. you become that way because of the pandemic or you were already built up? Uh, that I, way 
So I had started my private practice when I when I first moved out to California from New York about uh, five, well, let's see, 2015, I think mm-hmm. is when I got licensed in New York. Mm. But like, I couldn't see anybody in California yet because I had to transfer my license over. Yeah. So at that point, my practice was entirely virtual. And I was like a part of like some of the platforms that we've got out there, like Better Help. And there was another one that I was like three cups. It was like three cups of tea or something. Oh, seven cups of tea? Seven cups of tea. Oh my God. I love that <laughs> so platform. I yeah. love that platform. Okay, I love like, that platform. Okay, wait, were you on like the therapist side of it? Yes. Or you both- yes. Oh my gosh. Let <laughs> take a minute here. This is why I'm so glad when everything is scheduled afterward. I love that platform, by the way. And I've been an advocate for that platform since like, I think when I created my account, which was like November, 2019 or something. And I first used, I actually first uh, had a paid therapist on there for myself. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I volunteered to be a listener. I got honors in my internship program by the the way. And, um, and it's just, it's just been a fun, a, a great platform for you know, people who maybe are too intimidated to do like verbal therapy. It's more of just mm. chatting, you know? And although, although like the chat itself is not therapy, I got to be clear on that, but like, yeah. especially if you're doing the talking to volunteers, but that is so cool. You're like the yeah. first person I'm talking to, <laughs> like been on the other side. Okay. Can you just tell me about <laughs> Yes, <laughs> a little bit? Like I'm obsessed right now. Like this is our listeners are just going to have to listen to this. So this like, <laughs> I talk, I literally would talk about this sometimes as like ad commercials throughout the show is like, Hey, check out seven cups. Like, and it's great because it's like, you know, as a member and as a volunteer, you can Mm -hmm. be completely anonymous. So you could be really transparent. So anyway, I need to hear your experience. (laughs) Yes. You know, it was one of those things that I, I was like, okay, how do I serve still? I I think that was like my real frustration at the time was like, how do I still do this? So like I was on better help doing that, doing services for people who were in New York or based out of New York. Yeah. And I was focusing my work on like strong independent women at the time, because I was thinking like, it it was almost like what suited me at the time too, is like, I was away from the place where I would be working. And then I came across seven cups of tea and I was like, oh, this is so lovely. And at first I became a listener, like a non-therapist listener. And that was I think before the therapist listening thing was an option. Mm -hmm. And and so I was like, okay, well, I can do this. And there was like a little bit of like a training component to it as well, which I really like appreciated just as like a, as like a resource. And, and honestly, like I used it for both being a listener and being somebody who needed to talk Yeah, because when I, when I got there, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Let me just try this. And it was just, it was free 24 seven chat. There were like, I remember there were like guides or something for like self-help and like, just like growing paths. I remember them being called growing paths and thinking, yeah, I think like growth. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Growth paths. I'm going to log into my account right now as you're talking. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 And, (laughs) and like, and now, I mean, like they have grown, which is wonderful. And I do, I, I do remember when that moment where they shifted and they were like, 
if you are a therapist, if you are interested, please apply. And, and then I applied and I became one of the therapists for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I was doing that for a bit, but then I was thinking like, I really should like ground my roots here. Like I, I really yeah. wasn't embracing my life here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I from, hear you on that. Like just I was stop like, being oh. rooted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, uh, like I live here. I should probably grow roots. Out I here. should probably grow roots. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So I took jobs out here and like slowly, but surely like my practice, like kind of took a pause. Like, I, I think at some point I was like down to like one client and I was working full time and I was like, okay, well, let me, let me just take a break for a little bit after this client is, is done with their sessions. Yeah. I, that kind of took me. So 2015, 16 to 2019. So a few years yeah. later when I ultimately needed to go take care of myself. I, I experienced a really severe bout of depression oh that resulted in me needing to go to the hospital. Oh my and goodness. it was a, it was such a bizarre experience. Cause at that point I had been in the field for like 13 years. Yeah. And, and part of what makes me so passionate about the work that I do is like, and at that point I knew like how to help somebody else get to the hospital. Like I had helped dozens and dozens of other people go to the hospital for safety. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm like thinking through all the assessment questions. Like, do you, you know, are you, are you having thoughts of, of dying by suicide? Are you having plan? Yeah. You know, it was like, you were like I assessing was taking, yourself. I was assessing myself. Wow. And, and like, as, as a person who struggled with depression for most of my life, like, suicidality is like not a, a thing I'm unfamiliar with, mm -hmm. but what freaked me out that time was like, when I got around to asking the last question of like, can I keep myself safe? I like, couldn't say like, yes, like I usually can. Wow. And, and so that freaked me out. And I was like, Oh, I just know if I were the clinician listening to someone saying what I'm saying right now, I need to go. Wow. And so, so ultimately got to the hospital it was the right decision. There was just too many things. And I think, <clears throat> I think what it ended up being for me was like a place where I went to kind of set, we were talking about that healthy separation from something that's kind of unhealthy for you. Yeah. It be, ended up being that for me. It was like, when I got to the hospital, it was like, I didn't have to worry about all of these, like the 60 hour work week I had built for myself, the program I was running on the weekend. Like, I just, I just had an opportunity to be like, okay, what's going on with me? Like, how did I end up in this situation? What's going on and really doing an internal check. And I think yeah. it was like, I, I, I think that our bodies like tell us like what we need to do. I just, at that point, don't think I was listening very well. Mm. <laughs> so, right. like so I think that was like kind of the hard stop that my body was like no you're gonna be scared out of your mind because we're gonna think this mm -hmm. and then we're gonna you know force you to go take a break somewhere else and it was it was life-changing I, I I'm of course I'm no longer working that 60 something hour work week I'm working more like a 25 hour work week oh I love it I'm proud of you <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and the pace that I'm moving at is just not that, you know, I've been learning more about like colonial mentality from Dr. David's book and just like the work that he's done around that. And, 
and recently became aware of like just how much that hustle is tied back to that colonial mentality that we've all inherited as Filipino Americans and or not all some of us, many of us, of us a number of, of us. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't so, have the stats on it. So we're going to say generally yeah. speaking, <laughs> generally speaking, this can be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm like, Oh, that is connected to that. And that yeah. like, it would be really, you know, you know, me tying myself back to my revolutionary grandparents. I'm like, it would be really revolutionary if I just rest. Wow. If I just like slow the F down, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting switch and one that feels not entirely foreign, but like just not, not usual. So I think uh, we got here by talking about seven cups of tea. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> not sure how that all, but thank you. That's why I love the show because <laughs> I just, we just kind of see where the conversation organically goes and yeah. I'm, I'm here for all of it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I love what you said. Um, I wrote it down just it would be very revolutionary if you just rest, you know, and, you know, talking to, talking to you, actually, I want, I want to give a shout out to uh, my friend, Tiffany Rivera, who I've known since high school. We interviewed her on our show back in episode 88, which was, wow, way back in actually beginning of the year, January 15th. And I bring her up because you reminded me of much of what she talked about what when she was highly involved in mental health in college. And eventually she knew that she had all the symptoms where she needed to check herself in, you know, to a yeah. clinic, you yeah. know, and I, I think it's incredible how you had this, you know, professional background and experience to even have that conversation with yourself to be like, okay, I got to check myself in, you know, I just, I just think that's astounding. And if there's any benefit to being in the mental health field, it's like, it's always knowing that you can sort oh of do those check-ins with yourself. Yeah you know, the tools to be like, okay, I am not in a I'm good I'm not place. doing well, you and, know? Uh, yeah. I just think that's incredible. And, and Tiffany was the only other person other than you that brought that up as well. Like, oh, like I noticed I hit all these checkpoints. I should probably check myself in somewhere. <laughs> nice. Good, good work, Tiffany. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Tiff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just appreciate this entire conversation. Hence why, not that I ever had a timer on this conversation, but it's like why I'm dragging it out for as long as I could, because <laughs> And I think this is a good way to transition into our life lesson for today, Cynthia, and really the importance of mental health. It's like, you know, I think about um, when I was first diagnosed with mild depression and it was a couple of years ago and I was in complete denial of it. I was all like, no, I don't always have like a dark cloud over my head. Like I'm not always just generally depressed. And then when I started to see the symptoms, I realized I've had it since I lost my dad when I was 10. So I've had it for a very long time. I remember looking back at all the times where like evenings are typically the times I'm the most depressed. Winter time is when I, I'm, I have seasonal depression because I, you know, my birthday is in December. My dad's birthday is four days after mine, you know, like just thinking about like all, like just kind of feeling all that and, and recognizing that, and then being able to be a student of my depression rather than mm-hmm. let it, you know, rule over me. It's like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to work through this. And part of why I'm so adamant with doing podcasting is because what I've learned, there's a really good book. I really like, I always talk about it. It's called the upward spiral by Alex Korb. And there's a chapter in that book. And I, I literally always mention this whenever I, I bring up something like this, but there's a section in there that says part of working through your depression or working with your depression is to be in community with people. And so even just knowing that I'm like knowing that every Saturday, Nani and I are going to get together and talk about something, despite how depressed I am. It's like, okay, I got to show up. And I find that being in community with people is just 
a healing experience in itself, mm-hmm. you know, that actually kind of goes back to a paper that Nani and I are working on where we're kind of talking about our podcast show has kind of become this place for community healing and just continuing to celebrate that, you know? So anyway, I guess I, I'm like just talking out loud right now, but yeah, kind of going, oh. going back to you and really just stressing the importance of mental health. I like how you say that mental health is just as important as physical health and we need to do both in order to thrive. So tell us a little bit more about that for our listeners to understand. Cause maybe even, maybe yeah. there are still some people who don't make that connection. They think, Oh no, yeah. I, as long as I can minimize it because no one can see it, I sure. can hide Although it does show up in your physical health. So so it sure does. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and and for anybody who's, who's kind of on the fence about like that connection between the two, you know, if you can think of a time where you were either scared or anxious, and if you can think about the tension that started to develop in your body, like the shoulders tightening, like maybe coming up closer to the ears or your neck hurt, or you got a headache, that's that idea of how connected those Mm -hmm. are our minds and our bodies are. And I think there's something you were sharing just now about like how to deal. And and I need to look up that book for sure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What you were saying about like being in community with other people. Yeah. It's so interesting because when you're in community with other people, you're physically, you know, or, or virtually in this, this instance, like with another person, you see them, you kind of feel their, hear their voice. You kind of see their like mannerisms, that kind of stuff. And that's all physical, but there is something of a, of a process that's going on in your brain. And here's where I'm going to get a little neuropsych nerdy (laughs) is just, there is, you know, that fight or flight response. When we get scared, when we get anxious, that thing that makes us go, Oh God, like this thing is happening when we are with other people we can co-regulate together and there's something you know if we think evolutionarily like when we were being chased by a lion and we ran to our village of people the signals to our brain that we were safe was that we were surrounded by people we were laughing we were engaging with one another being together you know that's not something that you tend to do when you're on you know in in pursuit you know, it's like, you're, yeah. you're not doing that. And so, you know, I think uh, one of the part of the nervous system that you're actually activating when you're with other people and getting to connect and kind of relax into that space is that what you're doing is, is activating a part of the uh, polyvagal nervous system. Mm. And that part is called the ventral vagal nervous system. And it's responsible for us to like calm and feel just at ease and, and it's so, so intuitive, I think, but there's the bit of science behind it is like, there is a physiological process happening that does then kind of put our minds at ease. We're no longer like under threat, or we no longer feel like we're trying to survive, you know, mm-hmm. when, when we are together. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it, listeners. We're better together. <laughs> we sure are. We really are. <laughs> yeah, I think all of this is to just say, like, you know, mental health is important. Being in community is important. You know, trying to find that balance between being in community as well as ha- setting those healthy boundaries 
And again, it's an ongoing conversation, but I think we've talked about it extensively and we hope that our, uh, you, the listener can really uh, figure out what that means for you. Um, Cynthia, obviously we have covered a lot in our conversation today. Yeah. So I just want to so make fun. sure I've covered all my bases here because Nani's not here. So I can do no, I'm just kidding. It's not that she wouldn't let me do this, but <laughs> no, I'm just saying before we wrap up, uh, I think this calls for a great conversation and I'm happy that it's going at the length that it is because with our show, now that we're just doing interviews every other week, I think that also calls for longer conversations with the guests that we do have. So with that said, is there anything else that you want to make sure our listeners know before we go? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I kind of connected to the experience I was sharing with you all um, about my, my own knowing I needed to go to the hospital, that kind of stuff. I really appreciated kind of in reflection of that period of time, like, my God, that was so hard. Like that was indeed probably one of the hardest times in my life. And I had the resources, I had the tools, I had, you know, the background and training, the knowledge. Yeah. And it was still really, really hard. And I think one of the things that it had me realize was like, oh God, you know, like there are just, there's like sometimes just no education that gets to happen around mental health or emotional health. And so I I really put, really want to offer myself to whoever's out there listening, you know, if you have questions about like mental health, if you have questions about how do I look for somebody, if you have questions about any of that, please contact me. I'm really here. Even if I don't get to work with you myself, I will be, you know, a support person in your life to make sure you do get that. Cause I do think, yeah, I do think that you're you're worth it. You're worth getting, getting that time. So you're worth it. (laughs) You're enough. (laughs) You know, I was reading a a book recently that just straight up said, you know, human beings are logical and emotional. And despite how much, you know, despite your credibility, despite your background, despite your experience, you're still an emotional human being and going like processing your emotions, working through your emotions is still hard. And so don't shame yourself when you know, when you think you know so much about a certain thing, but Mm -hmm. you still can't work through it because we are human. We are not perfect. I remember having a conversation about that with a friend too. It's like, you know, her and her husband have master's degrees and they're communicators by trade. And yet, you know, they were still struggling with their mental health and their relationship. And that is okay. Like that's okay because we're human. And so I think that is kind of a great way to summarize our conversation is like, you may know a lot, but you, you'll, you can never underestimate like that moment when like, you're really feeling emotional and you literally don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn to. And I think in this situation, if you're listening to this and you feel really compelled please reach out to Cynthia. I mean, she is on Instagram living fully IG and also her website. I am living fully.com, but Cynthia, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> so great. It's a great conversation. Uh, this is we had this. <laughs> I'm so glad too. And you know, I do have to say something It's just, I, I said it at the beginning. I really appreciate that you are, you know, that public figure, a public figure in our world that is just, you know, being human. You know, part of why I, I do the speaking sometimes that I'll do is just because I didn't get to have that as a young person. And, oh, yeah. and just to acknowledge you for being that person for so many people, I, I think I, I just want to thank you oh. so much for doing that. <laughs> well, thank you, Cynthia. I mean, yeah. I was like journaling about this the other day and and Mm. this is when I was like having a depressive mode. I was all like, my podcasting is an outcry for attention to my dad that I lost when I was so young. You know, I mean, there's always, there's always, I mean, a lot of us, 
I think when we're really good at something, it's because we're trying to compensate for something else from our childhood. That's sort of like my theory. And, you know, having lost my dad and also just with feeling silenced, just like with, I'm sure many of us in our families growing up or being neglected um, emotionally, you know, that shows up in our adult life one way or the other. And, you know, thanks to all of the therapy I got and support I got and the communities I've been able to engage in and above all else podcasting, because that's really been my way of community throughout this pandemic. I, I'm grateful. And I, I've learned that there's a phrase, I don't know, maybe you can help me with this. It goes something mm-hmm. like, like evil doesn't survive in the light or something like that, or like mm-hmm. sin, like something I'm, I'm going to totally butcher it. But basically what I come to find is that like keeping things in is a form of self-sabotage mm-hmm. and you think you're doing other people a favor by keeping it in, but you actually cause a ripple effect to your yes. loved ones. You make people feel uncomfortable. They don't know how to approach you, how to help you. And also you model to them that their feelings don't matter either. And therefore they need to internalize it too. And so, you know, one thing I discovered in this project is like the more unapologetic I show up, it gives other people permission. So if I can do the opposite of what I was taught <laughs> growing up, I find that it, it's able to, you know, solve a lot of, you know, mental health issues, I think within our own community. Now, obviously I'm not the hero here. I'm not going to save everyone, but I do appreciate you saying that because this didn't come on accident. Like this has been like a lifelong work for myself to be who I am, to have these conversations and to know that like, to not be afraid of sharing when I really am going through a depressive episode, because we talked about this offline, you know, the first quarter of this year, I was just going through a crazy depression. Like I I had anxiety in my chest and I would literally just like work for hours just because I could, because either I was like, oh no, I can rechannel that depression into my work, (laughs) you know, like I can, or I can numb it out by working, you know, oh, new project, I'll take it. Like I will work on the weekends and- I know and that the life. Good thing is that, yeah, yeah, I know, right? And the good thing is that at the end of March, when, and this is a story for another time, when I finally hit a tipping point and just shut off my phone for an entire week, mm. I've been able to slow down, Cynthia, and, and just be more present and okay and to sit with my feelings. And, mm. you know, thank God for therapy. I do have a couples counselor as well as a therapist for myself. And I'm just happy talking about it because I'm happy because of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Going through it. And so, you know, if we can look at our mental health, like our physical health, like how we would get a personal trainer to mm-hmm. tone ourselves, yeah. like to know that it's okay to ask for that kind of help. And I know at this point, we're probably like beating a dead horse, but like <laughs> until it is really normalized, I will continue to beat that. Dead horse. Great. Good. Really, that's figuratively speaking, y'all, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. So thank you for saying that. That truly yeah. means a lot. And I, I needed to acknowledge what you said and, and sh- share with our listeners, like why it's so important to me, because just like yeah. many of us, we didn't have that opportunity growing up. We didn't have that space. And, you know, with every listener, every email that we get from people, every feedback we get, it affirms, you know, our responsibility or sense of responsibility to show up on the show and be unapologetic and showing up as ourselves. And also just continuing to step out of our own comfort zone to be more bold, at least with Nani and I and sharing our stories, because even we still have stuff that we, sure. we but you know, something I wanted to, what, what you're saying to me reminds me of something that I think Allison Kabales, Kubales. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we interviewed her too. Oh, yeah. Oh, keep yay. talking. I'm gonna give her a shout uh, out as you talk. Yeah, yeah. She was doing a, like a clubhouse room. Have you heard of this thing? Oh, clubhouse. So, yeah. Clubhouse. Everyone wants me to be on it. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a, it's a place. It's yeah. a it's its own place. Yeah. <laughs> but she said something in a in a group that I was in with her. It was a it was a room that was called Pinayism. So after her work, but like. Yeah 
she said that if you're doing anything for the community, whether that's, you know, the Filipino community, or I think she was speaking specifically for the Filipino community, because that's who was in the room. But like, in general, if you are doing work for your community, one of the things that you were saying reminded me of what she said, which is, whatever you do, it's like, it heals you as it heals other people. Yep. You know, and so I really, I really appreciated that bit of wisdom. It's something I've been carrying, carrying as I'm, I'm working on couple therapy is just like, you know, when I, when I get to that edgy place of like, oh, I need to like <laughs> grow, like I need to like read and write. And then I'm like, okay, what did, what did Ate Allison say? Okay. <laughs> like, it's you know, that, okay. that reminds me of my husband and, and lately he's been taking care of his like physical health. Like he's like shed a lot of weight in the recent weeks. And, but before like, so just a quick story, I guess, before we wrap up, like, you know, for some time he kept telling himself like, Oh, I'm going to like, I'm going to work out for you. I'm going to look better for you. And, Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I was all like, I want you to do it for you because it'll benefit you and it'll benefit me. You know, like I, it's like, rather than do it for me, do it for you. It will benefit me, you know? And so I think having kind of what you're saying is like, when you heal, you allow other people to heal or you heal with other people as well. But it Mm -hmm. starts with your own like desire to heal, you know, because like I mentioned before, it causes a ripple effect. Like if you heal, someone else is going to heal. They say healed, like hurt people, hurt people but also healed people, heal people, (laughs) you know, empower people, empower people. And so be the change (laughs) y'all your work. (laughs) And a quick shout out to Ate Allison, episode 75 released October 23rd, 2020. Check her out. She was, I mean, she created the concept of Panayism, I believe. And she's just amazing. (laughs) Like to just inspirational in so many levels. So once again, that's episode 25 at the tifaproject.com. Cynthia, obviously I have taken up a lot of your time. So any closing thoughts thoughts before we go? I feel like we did a lot, but I I always want to make sure that we've covered everything. I think we did. I think we we did. did. This has been fun. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, this is going to be a fun episode for everyone when this comes out because they'll be like, wow, this is like a longer than normal episode. It's like... Yeah, because I, I do know that the episode that, that's going to come out before this is going to be fairly short. So I think they'll appreciate this long. Uh, they're like, um, oh. All right. Well, let me go ahead and wrap up here. Cynthia, again, thank you so much for being on our show. Remember to our listeners, you can check out Cynthia at her website, which is IamLivingFully.com or reach out to her on Instagram, LivingFullyIG. Cynthia, any other ways you want people to get a hold of you other than those two contact well, information? You know, yeah. sometimes I'll host a support group on Clubhouse okay. if you're there and you could just find me with my full name, Cynthia Siadot and Cynthia C-Y-N-T-H-I-A Siadot S-I-A-D-A-T. So I like how you like sort of thought you're like, how do I spell my name again? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, <laughs> I know what am I spelling? Okay. I'm going to yeah. do it. It's like when I spell my middle name, it's because it's my mom's maiden name. It's like really long. I'm like, <laughs> like, I really like think about it. But uh, awesome. Cynthia, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I know that Nani would have been a part of this conversation and she would have enjoyed it. And to our listeners, again, if you want to reach out to us, our phone number is 415-484-8329. Obviously, we have our website as well, tfawproject.com. And other than that, thank you all so much for being here. We love you all. And we can't wait to speak with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Ha <laughs> ha